many of the lies we believe are lies about God. And that's an important place to start because if our view of God is wrong, then everything else we believe will be wrong. And we could add many to this list. And by the way, as I go through this, as you think of others, feel free to jot them down and pass them to me when we're done. And uh, I'd like to add your um, some of the thoughts and insights God gives you when I teach this the next time. But I think one of the basic lies that many of us believe about God is that God is not really good. God is not really good. And again, remember, very few people would say this. But that's what we really believe in the deepest part of our being. If God were good, this would be different. This would not have happened to me. And then related to that, God doesn't love me. Now, women will say, I know God loves me, but deep in their heart, they don't believe in so many cases that God does love them. And then this one, God is just like my father. God is just like my father. And if there was a a, um, wounded relationship there with a father or a distant father or a passive father or an overbearing father or a cruel father, then that view of that father is so many times projected onto God. And let me say this. I had a godly father for which I thank the Lord. But God is not just like my father. God is infinitely more wonderful and pure and right than even my godly father. Now, it helps a lot to have a godly father in shaping a woman's view of God. I trust God and have since I was a little girl. And part of what has helped that is that I had a father I could trust. Most women today are not coming from that background. But then the enemy deceives them into believing that God is just like my father. He can't be trusted. He is a distant God, or he is a cruel, overbearing God. God is not really enough. Another lie. God is not really enough. God's word is not really sufficient to deal with all my problems. Now, we say it's sufficient, but we don't live as if it were. I need God's word, plus I need these 52 books from the Christian bookstore. I need God's word, plus I have to go to all these conferences. I need God's word, plus everything that my friend or counselor can tell me. I need God's word, plus to deal with the issues in my life. We don't really believe that God's word is sufficient. And then this that many of us believe, there is someone or something else that can make me happier than God can. I need something or someone more than God. It may be food. And for many women, food eating is not because of hunger. It's because of seeking to fill an emotional vacuum, drinking from wells that Jeremiah called broken sister, fountain of living waters who wants to fill our lives to overflowing. And we have instead gone and hewn out for ourselves broken cisterns. And for many of us as women, food is one of those broken cisterns, shopping, Television, friends, activity, geographical location, the the size or type of the nest in which we live. Uh, I need something else, someone else to make me happy. God is not sufficient. He's not really enough. And then this lie, God's ways are too restrictive. God's ways are too restrictive. And that's what Satan told Eve. Has God said to you, now back up to what God did say. Of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat. Except for that one over there. Don't eat that one. God put the emphasis on the liberty. Satan came and said, has God said to you, you can't eat from all the trees in the garden? What does he do? He, he tempts the woman to believe that God is putting restrictions on her happiness. The emphasis is on what you can't do. And you as parents know that you put loving parameters around your children. And what does the enemy tell your children? 
that you're trying to warp them or cripple them or keep them in a cage or not let them have any freedom. You want them to experience true freedom. That's why you put loving restrictions around them. But the enemy emphasizes the restriction and suggests that it is a bondage. This lie that God should fix my problems. It's a lie. And we'll see what the truth is about uh, many of these in just a few moments. But the lie that God should fix my problems. And if I have problems that haven't been fixed, then God has not come through. God is faithful, yes, if the sun is shining, if I've got money in the bank, if my husband loves me, if my children rise up and call me blessed, if I'm strong and healthy, yes, we can sing, great is thy faithfulness. But when the clouds are there, when the money isn't there, when there's rejection at home, when there are wayward children, is God still faithful? God hasn't fixed my problems. And there's this deep sense in the heart of many women that God has not come through for me. Now, there are many lies that women believe about themselves, such as, I'm not worth anything. And in many women's cases, someone told them as a little girl um, or as an older girl, you're just like your mother. And she didn't like her mother. She didn't like what she saw in her mother. And she now believes that for the rest of her life, she's doomed to be just like her mother, not in the positive ways, but in the negative ways. Or you're dumb. Or you'll never amount to anything. And we have believed these words that we have heard from others in so many cases and determined, I'm not worth anything. One of the problems here is that most of us as as women have developed our sense of worth based on what others think about us. Now the opposite of that we find in 1 Peter chapter 2, which says that Jesus was rejected of men. But that didn't determine his worth. He was chosen of God. Therefore, he is precious. His worth is precious. And his worth is not determined by what men thought of him. They rejected him. It was determined by what God thought of him. And God chose it. That's what determined his worth. But so many, many women today have come to establish their sense of worth based on what someone else has told them. I can't help the way that I am. It's another lie about ourselves. It's my temperament. It's my personality. It's my spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts get blamed on more fleshly responses. And um, it's my past. It's my upbringing. It's my parents. And this whole sense of someone or something else is responsible for the way that I am. And I can't help the way that I am. I have my rights. And this is a major foundational deception in our whole culture a culture that has been built on rights. When we promote rights, we ultimately foster rebellion. When we promote responsibility and submission to God-ordained authority, we create the, uh, we, we till up the soil that ultimately will produce the fruit of revival. I have my rights. And there isn't a woman in this room today who has not been influenced in at least some subtle ways by the whole feminist agenda and lie that I have my rights. You know, you go out here in the, um, where are we? Sioux City, Iowa. (laughs) I've been on the road a long time. And um, even the traffic signs recognize that you don't have smooth flow of traffic by saying, you never see a sign that says, right of way, you have right of way. What does the sign say? yield the right of way. But the feminist movement for our whole gen- my whole generation has promoted and, uh, and infiltrated into our society a lie that most of us, even in our evangelical churches, have adopted in some fashion. That is this thinking that I have my rights. And I've got to stand up for my rights. 
If I don't, no one else will. And we see this philosophy even coming through in much Christian literature and teaching today, unfortunately. Then the whole area of beauty. Beauty is external and physical. That's a lie. But it's a lie that most women believe. You know why? They've been reading too many magazines, watching too many commercials, and they've been developing their thinking not based on the Word of God, but based on what the world has taught them. Beauty is external and physical. And this, that physical beauty matters more than inner character. Physical beauty matters more than inner character. It's a lie. And then this lie that I find is very common to women. I should not have to live with unfulfilled longings. I think there's many women in here who understand uh, or perhaps have felt this. I should not have to live with unfulfilled longings. We have this society and mindset of instant gratification, instant fulfillment. If you're hungry, eat. If you're lonely, engage in illicit sex. Whatever you have to do to get that longing fulfilled, now do it. Now, it's not that the longing in itself is necessarily illegitimate or sinful. The danger is that we're tempted to fulfill it in illegitimate ways or timing. God created the sexual drive and intended that it be fulfilled in marriage. It's not wrong to fulfill it. It's just wrong to fulfill it outside of marriage. So it's a legitimate longing that God and desire that God has created fulfilled in an illegitimate way. We think, I have to have it now. I talk with many single women. And one of the things I say to them is that it's not wrong to have unfulfilled longings. Learn to live with unfulfilled longings. And by the way, it's not just single women who are lonely. I've talked to enough married women who have many children who are still lonely to know that it's not a function of how many people live with you. It's a matter of deep inner longings that no created human being can satisfy. There is not a man on the face of this earth that can satisfy the deepest longings of a woman's spirit. And all the men know it's true. And the women know it's true. So why do we keep looking to men to fulfill our longings? You see, God created us for himself. And he created us with some longings that will never be fulfilled this side of heaven. So we need to learn to embrace unfulfilled longings and to see them, as Elizabeth Elliot has said, as material for sacrifice. They give us something to offer up to God. Learn to live with unfulfilled longings. Another lie, it's okay to do whatever I need to do to get my, quote, needs met. And boy, if we come to redefine needs... God's word says, with food, with clothing, with shelter, let your heart be content. Be free from the craving for more, covetousness, just a desire for more. Be content. But the world tells us it's okay to do whatever I need to do to get my needs, my desires, my longing met. And then this lie about ourselves, this body, this group, this church, this uh, doesn't really need me. I'm not needed in the body. And of course, the scripture teaches just the opposite. Lies we believe about sin. God can't forgive what I have done. God can forgive everything else, everyone else, but God can't forgive what I have done. There are women who live with unresolved guilt in their hearts, not because they've been unwilling to confess and repent, but because they're unwilling to believe that God can and will forgive. The lie that God can't or won't forgive what I have done. This lie on the other side of the coin, my sins aren't really that bad. I haven't done all those things that people think God can't forgive. 
And this is a lie where some of us who are more self-righteous firstborns uh, find ourselves that my sins aren't really all that bad. It's a lie. This lie, I can sin and get away with it. I can sin and get away with it. That's what the serpent said to the woman. Thou shalt not die. God said, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. And the serpent said, it's a lie. The serpent called God a liar and said, you will not reap the consequences of your uh, choice. Psalm 10, verses, uh, verse 6, Psalm 10, verse 6 says, why does the wicked condemn God? Because he has said in his heart, thou wilt not require it. You won't call me to account for this. The wicked says there's no judgment coming. There are no consequences. I can sin and get away with it. Variations on that. I won't reap what I sow. I won't reap what I sow. The choices I make today will not have consequences. The choices I make today will not have consequences. I can play with fire and not get burned. So many, many women today out in the marketplace, out from under the covering and protection of their husbands who are involved in emotional relationships that are fire. They are playing with, and I'm talking about Christian women. I'm talking about respected Christian women in their circles, in their churches, in their communities who are involved in emotional relationships where they're getting emotional needs fed and fueled by a man who is not their husband. They are playing with fire and kidding themselves, deceiving themselves into thinking that they will not get burned, that they will not reap what they sell. Now, their own marriage may or may not fall apart as a result. They may not see the consequences in their own lives, though many times they will. But they will surely see the consequences in their children, in their grandchildren. Those seeds are being sown. And the thing is, we want to sow seeds of choices that we make and then pray for a crop failure. Hope that it won't come to harvest. And it just can't be. It's a law of God Excuse me, that I will reap what I sow, excuse me, this lie. I am not responsible for my sinful choices and reactions. I am not responsible for my sinful choices and reactions. And then this one that so many, many women believe, I cannot walk in consistent victory over sin. It's a lie. Eating habits, spending habits, anger, critical spirit, personal moral habits. I can't walk in consistent victory over this sin. I'm just going to have to be defeated by this for the rest of my life. It's a lie. And if you believe it, you will never experience consistent victory over sin. You will live in bondage if you believe that you have to live in bondage. Then lies we believe about our priorities. This is a lie. I can make it without consistent time in the word and in prayer. I can make it in my life without nurturing my spirit, without time with the Lord. And this lie, a career outside the home is more valuable and fulfilling than being a wife and a mother. And the society we live in, our culture has perpetrated that lie intentionally, uh, deceitfully, and many, many women have come to believe today that there is something inherently more fulfilling about a career outside the home than about being a wife and a mother. The career, the calling to be a wife and a mother has been demeaned. And many women, especially my age and younger today, have bought into that lie, have come to believe that that is true. And in this lie, and I hardly know a woman who doesn't in some way believe this, I don't have time to do everything I'm supposed to do. It is a lie. That is a lie. 
Jesus, who came to earth and only had three years to fulfill the entire plan of redemption, said at the end of his life, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. You know what the problem is, ladies? We're doing things not that God gave us to do, but that everyone else in the world has given us to do. And so there's a lie that I don't have time to do everything I'm supposed to do. Lies about marriage. I have to have a husband to be happy. Now the people who believe that aren't married. (laughs) Thank God for marriage. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for marriage. And I am the biggest promoter and defender and proponent of marriage and family. A lot of my friends, thank you so much, have a lot of children. And I just encourage all those married people to keep having children. And they love hearing singles tell them that. But um, (laughs) a husband's not going to make a woman happy. And if a woman gets into marriage because she wants to be happy, she's getting in for the wrong reason, and she's setting herself up for certain disappointment. Because the purpose in a marriage is not to make a, for a woman is not to make a woman happy. It's to be a completer, to make God happy, and to serve and bless that man. And if a woman gets into marriage hoping to be happy, she's really setting herself up for disappointment. This lie about marriage, it's my responsibility to change my mate. It's my responsibility to change my mate. Or this one, marriage should be a democracy. Equal say, equal rule. I grew up in a democracy. Let me tell you about it. There's seven children in our family. We each got to vote on anything we wanted to vote on. We each got a vote. My mother got a vote. And my dad got nine. (laughs) And that's how the democracy worked at the DeMoss house. But the enemy has convinced women today that marriage should be a democracy. My husband is supposed to serve me and make me happy. Now that's a half-truth. That's a lie. And it'll put women in bondage if they go into marriage with the expectation that my husband is supposed to serve me. Who did God make to be the helper? The wife. I'm just reading again today in 1 Corinthians 11, God made the woman for the man. And women, if we see that the, that that uh, if our belief in marriage is that he's supposed to serve me and make me happy, we're going to end up in bondage. Both mates are, are are responsible to provide for the family. Both mates are responsible to provide for the family. Now, both mates have responsibilities, but God gave to the husband the primary responsibility to be the breadwinner for the family. And all of these, we could go back into God's word and uh, find. Uh, stated truth there in relation to these principles. And then this sub-point there, a lie women believe, if I don't work outside the home, our needs won't be met. Or we can't make it on my husband's income. We can't make it on my husband's income. And there again is where we enter into some half-truths. But so many women not, and husbands too, not trusting God because of believing that it's both their responsibilities to be the provider for the family. This lie that many women believe, if I submit to my husband, I'll be miserable. And a lot of women believe that. If I come under his authority, I will be miserable. If my husband is passive, this is a lie, then I've got to take the bull by the horns and do something. If I don't take the initiative, nothing will get done. And I've had so many women say to me, if I didn't handle the finances in our home, we'd go broke. And I say to those women, now let me just give you a a bottom line. I wouldn't say it quite this fast or quite this way. Um, I'd get there by a route. But at the bottom line, I say, 
uh, or women who have said, my husband won't work. And I say, if you don't work, he will. Once he gets hungry, he will work. He may have, he may not care about providing for you, but he does have a self-preserving instinct and he's not going to let himself starve to death. There is that um, sense in which we as women take over so much of the responsibility that men have very little motivation to take it over by themselves. And so women today, so many believe if I don't step in there, nothing will get done. And we so often fail to see God act, fail to see the power of God in turning the hearts of these men because we have stepped in there in our homes, in our churches, in our ministries to say, if somebody doesn't do something, this thing's going to fall apart. You know, sometimes it needs to fall apart. And I say to women, you may, you need to give your husband the freedom to fail. You need to be willing to let things fall apart in order for God to be able to get his attention. The very thing you've been praying to happen in his life, you may be keeping from happening in his life if you're taking matters over yourself. Uh, next one, my marriage is hopeless. It can never change. And so many women caught in that lie today. My marriage is hopeless. It can never change. This one, I'm better off getting a divorce than staying in an unhappy marriage. And there's so many even secular studies today showing that second marriages often, more often than not, have a greater failure rate even than first marriages. If my husband doesn't love and respect me, I have the right to leave him. It's a lie. So many women are being taught that today and believing it. If my husband isn't faithful to me, I am free from my vows. Now, I know this is one of those controversial ones, but let me just state it this way. God, our God, is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful to his vow, to his people, even when they are not faithful. And if we want to reveal to our world what God is like, then we have got to come back to being covenant-keepers. And keeping our covenant not based on whether the other person is faithful, but based on the faithfulness of God. This one, I shouldn't have to put up with suffering in my marriage. And no one else should have to put up with suffering in their marriage. And so many of us as women, you know, most counseling does not happen in, in counseling rooms or in therapist's office. Most of it happens woman to woman. And so many of us as Christian women are giving ungodly counsel. Counsel not according to the word and the ways of God. And one of the things, particularly those of you who are mercy showers, you want to push your arm around that woman and say, honey, I know I don't believe in divorce, but I just think no woman should have to put up with what you are going through. And could I say, man, in recent years, I've been grieved even by the number of pastors and Christian leaders who have begun to counsel this way. who say, I didn't believe in divorce until until it hit their own family, until it hit people close to them. And now they say, and I've heard these stories, and it grieves my heart, say, well, it's not ideal, but no one should have to put up with suffering. What is the cross about if it's not a cause to call to suffering? Read First Peter 2. If my husband were unfaithful to me, I could never forgive him. That is a lie. But it's what the world teaches us. I would be happier if I left my husband and married another man. I would be happier if I left my husband, left my husband and married another man. First of all, it's not true. Statistics bear out that it's not true. That putting another pair of shoes under the bed does not solve the problems. But second of all, the purpose in life is not to be happy. It's to be holy. 
Lies women believe about children. We need to move on quickly with these. We're going to get through them. About children, we should, here's a lie. We should determine the size of our family based on how many children we want, how many we think we can handle, and how many we think we can provide for. That's a lie. Children are a burden. That's what our society has told us. Now, there are some aspects of having children that are burdensome. But children are a blessing, not a burden. All children, a lot of people believe this one, all children will go through a rebellious stage. If you believe that, then you're setting yourself up to have to have your children go through a rebellious stage. Now, all of us are born rebels. And Christ has to conquer ourself, our heart, our flesh. But it is a lie to believe that all teenagers have to be rebellious or have to go through a rebellious stage. If I weren't, many women believe this, if I weren't tied down with children, I could do more to serve the Lord. And I've heard this from women who envy what I'm able to do as a single woman in ministry, and I say to women, what you are doing there maintaining your home front, teaching those children the ways of God, loving and reverencing and serving your husband, and bringing up those children in the ways of God is far more significant than anything I could do in traveling around the country speaking to people and telling them about the ways of God. Now, it all has to do with what's the will of God for you and what's the will of God for me. But, oh, do not underestimate mothers. Your role and the value and the significance of what you are doing in shaping a whole generation that can counter the ways of deception in our world. This lie, we are not responsible for how our children have turned out. Now, that's a two-edged thing. Because there's no question that as your children get older, they're responsible for their own choices. But Scripture teaches that parents do bear responsibility for the ways that they teach and train their children and therefore for the results in their children's lives. Both have to accept responsibility. It's not one or the other. This lie, children need to get exposed to the real world, put that in quotes, so that they can learn to function in it. We shouldn't shelter them from the real world, says the lie. Ladies and gentlemen, the real world is not the world of sin and corruption and vice out there. That is transitory. It's fleeting. It's fading away. The real world is God's way. It's God's world. This is my father's world. He rules. He reigns. The real world is the eternal rule uh, world where Christ reigns. And you want to prepare your children to live in God's real world and then to be able to go out and not function in the outside world, but change the outside world. You're not bringing up children who can just function in the world outside. You want children who can really make a difference in that world. Lies we believe about others. I just can't forgive so-and-so. I just can't love so-and-so. I can't help so-and-so. She needs a professional counselor. Now, thank God for godly counselors for biblical counselors. But there's this mindset today that we cannot help people. Paul said to the Romans, I'm persuaded that you are able to admonish one another. We as women need to take responsibility for our own lives and for the lives of people around us and learn how to get into the Word of God and help hurting people with the Word, with the sword of God, with the bomb of Gilead. Learn how to apply the names and the way and the heart of God to the people of the problems of God. Lies about emotions. Boy, and this gets so many of us as women. I can't help the way I feel. I can't control my emotions. Again, there's a half-truth there, but a lot of lie in it, and we'll come back to that in just a few moments. My emotions are a reflection of the truth. That, more often than not, is a lie. If I feel unloved, therefore I believe I am unloved. If I feel alone, therefore I believe I am unlo- alone. 
I say to women, more often than not, emotions, your emotions, my emotions, have nothing to do with reality. And we need to learn that and let our emotions follow obedience rather than our choices following our emotions. And this one, um, husbands, this will explain a lot. We believe, as women, many times that it's understandable to act like a shrew at certain times. That's spelled S-H-R-E-W, shrew. And so many of us as women use our monthly cycle, our season of life, the change of life as an excuse for ungodly behavior. Weariness, exhaustion. I remember one godly male friend saying to me once when I was just exhausted from ministry and speaking and I was acting like a shrew, and he said, don't let tiredness be an excuse for carnality. Now, that was, he's not a mercy shower, but... Um, <laughs> you know, men, we ladies need to hear those kinds of words from time to time. That doesn't mean don't have understanding, but it's not understandable, ladies, for us to act like a shrew ever for any reason. When God has called us to live peaceably, to be filled with his spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace. And that can be true in any circumstance, in any situation, any time of our lives. Another lie, my depression is probably caused by chemical imbalance. We are so quick to assume today that our depression is caused by a physiological source when more often than not, and I know I'm just broad brushing here, it is our responses of the spirit and our choices that have created in our bodies many of the physical and physiological ailments. This uh, lie, I can't do what's right when my emotions are out of whack. I can't do what's right when my emotions are out of whack. I can always choose to obey God. Lies about our circumstances. If my circumstances were different, I would be different. In other words, we're saying circumstances make me what I am. And this lie, I am a victim, a victim of past offenses, of my upbringing, of my circumstances. And here's a lie that leaves a lot of women in despair and hopelessness. My circumstances will never change. This will go on forever. And I say to women, this may go on for a long time. It may go on for all of your life here on this earth, but it will not go on forever. It will not go on forever. God's word promises that one day the desert will bloom, that the, that the dry and desert places will become well-watered places. And this lie, I just can't take anymore. And so many women feel that. And it's a lie. And when we believe that, then we just give up in hopelessness. I just can't take anymore. Listen, ladies, when I listen to and heed Satan's lies, I fulfill his purposes. And I actually become his instrument. Now, thankfully, every lie has a corresponding truth. And we won't take time to look at all the corresponding truths, but just a suggestion of some here. And I want us to just notice quickly first the power of the truth. God's word says that the truth will set us free. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the truth will set others free that you're trying to help? The truth is so powerful. I think today, as men and women in the evangelical church, we underestimate the power of God's truth. We don't really believe that this word is sharp and powerful, that it has power to heal, power to help, power to transform lives. Power of the truth to set people free. And then Psalm 91 teaches that the word, uh, that the truth protects us, protects us. 
He will cover you with his feathers under his wings. You will find trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. God's truth is my protection against the flame of the darts, the flaming darts of the evil one. And then Jesus said, God's word sanctifies us. God's truth sanctifies us. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now here is just a sampling of truth that sets us free. And let me say, Jesus is the truth. You cannot disconnect truths from truth. He is the truth that sets us free. If you want to get people to freedom, you've got to get them to Jesus. And his truth, he is truth. He will set people free. And then he shines light of his written word, his truth into our hearts. And here's a sampling of truth that sets us free. Number one, God is good. God is good. Psalm 119 tells us God is good and everything he does is good. You know, um, on September the 1st, 1979 was the weekend of my 21st birthday. I had been home to celebrate it with my family. My parents took me to the airport, put me on a plane back to Virginia where I was serving in a ministry at that time. When I arrived in Virginia, I received a phone call saying that my dad had been out since I had left, had gone out to play tennis, had had a heart attack, dropped dead instantly, was in the presence of the Lord, 53 years of age, no warning, no sign of any type. Of co- I was very close to my dad, firstborn daughter here, and uh, of course over the next days and months and years, there were many, many tears, enormous sense of loss and sadness at times. But before any of those emotions could kick in, by God's grace, the first conscious thought that came into my mind was that verse that I had read in Psalm 119 just a week or so earlier. God is good and everything he does is good. And that truth became a foundation for my soul in the days that followed. Now that didn't mean it didn't hurt. It didn't spare me from hurt, but it gave a balm for the hurt. My dad had spent the first 21 years of my life teaching me that God is good. You know, when it counted most, it worked. Because my life had been embedded in the truth, and the truth had been embedded in me. God is good. Number two, God loves me. Whether I feel loved or not, whether I think God loves me or not, if I feel God has forsaken me, the truth is God loves me. And we need to teach ourselves and teach one another to counsel our hearts according to the Word of God. That's not just positive speak. That's speaking truth to our hearts that will set us free. And when women listen to the um, the books and the magazines and the TV programs of the world, they're going to think like the world. But when they fill their minds and their hearts and meditating upon the Scripture, they're going to start to think scripturally. God does love me whether I feel it or not. Number three, I'm accepted in Christ. I may have been rejected by every other human being on the earth, but I am accepted in Christ if I'm a child of God. Number four, God is enough. God is enough. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. I tell that to women over and over and over and over again. God can be trusted. Lean on him. Lean on your beloved. He can be trusted. God's grace is sufficient for me. Some weeks ago I was speaking to a group of 150 or 200 women who had, as any group of women that number would have, just a whole long list of problems that they were dealing with. And I had the women uh, write down what is it that they need God's grace for. 
at this moment in their lives. And then I had them one at a time, not all of them, but many of them. We spent probably an hour, an hour and a half doing this. Come to the microphone and say to us, um, here's the issue in my life, just in one sentence, and God's grace is sufficient for me. And I just had the women identify, here's the, here's the issue. And then just speak the truth. God's grace is sufficient for me. And then I had all the women in the room say to that woman out loud together, God's grace is sufficient for you. That's what we need to keep telling each other. God's grace is sufficient for me. If I'm worn out from traveling, can't remember what day it is, what city I'm in, what my name is, God's grace is sufficient for me. Wayward children, aching bones, husband doesn't love you, uh, no money in the bank. God's grace is sufficient for me. You believe that? It's true. Number seven, the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all my sin. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all my sin. And then the cross of Christ is sufficient to conquer my flesh. The cross of Christ is sufficient to conquer my flesh. And here's that, what that tells me. What an incredible liberating truth this is that I don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. That doesn't mean I won't, but it means I don't have to. And if I sin, it's because I chose to sin. Because I wanted to sin. But I don't have to sin. I don't have to be in bondage to sin anymore. If I'm a child of God, I've been set free from the have to sin, from the dominion of sin, a liberating truth. God's word is sufficient to lead me, to teach me, and to heal me. The sufficiency of scripture. Number 10, God will enable me to do anything that he commands me to do. God will enable me to do anything that he commands me to do. Therefore, there is no one that I cannot forgive. If I don't forgive, it's not because I cannot forgive. It's because I won't forgive. There is no one that I cannot love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. I can give thanks in all things because God enables me to do anything he commands me to do. Forgiveness is a choice. I can forgive. Number 12, contentment is a choice. I can be content. I've been developing in recent months a whole new message on the whole subject of contentment. I believe this is a major area of bondage for many women. It's a whole area of discontentment. I can choose the pathway of contentment. Number 13, it's more important that I be holy than that I be happy. And it is impossible next to be holy without suffering. We want to be holy, but we don't want to go through the pathway to get there. But suffering is the number one tool in the hand of God to conform me to the image of Christ. If the Son of God learned obedience by the things which he suffered, how do you and I think that we can learn obedience any other way? The pathway to true joy is to relinquish control. We women are controllers, and that is part of the consequence of the fall. Your drive will be to rule over your husband. That's the consequence of the fall. You'll want to control your husband. And as women, we're driven to control. But the pathway to true joy, this is the truth, is to relinquish control. Control of my life, control of my husband, control of my children, and control of my circumstances. Let go. Relinquish control. Give them over to God. Release them to God. Number 16, my past does not have to plague me. 
That's the truth. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. My past does not have to plague me. My past failures can become stepping stones to greater victory and fruitfulness. These are truths that I hate to be saying so quickly. You need to meditate on these women and get other women to meditate on these. If I will let him, God will cause everything that has happened to me to work together for my good and his glory. Number 17, God doesn't make any mistakes. Everything that comes into my life has been filtered through his fingers of love. Number 18, you believe that last? So each of these, you believe it, it'll set you free. It just makes all the difference. My heart is just experiencing freedom as I'm stating the truth here. I love the truth. The greatest freedom I can experience is found through submission to God-ordained authority. And God has given authority to us as women as a covering. 1 Corinthians 11 says that as women we need a covering over our head and the covering is God-ordained authority. That's where we find protection. Uh, the husband, this is a truth, is the head of the wife and this is not something that's just the consequence of the fall as the, quote, evangelical feminists would have us believe. I believe as you study the scripture and the New Testament and Old Testament accounts together that before the fall, God ordained that the husband should be the head of the wife. Read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for example. And then the wife is to reverence and submit to her husband. And I'm trying to teach women to be, this is not PC here, but to be cheerleaders for the men in their lives, for their husbands, for their pastors, to lift up their hands, to reverence them, and then watch God make them into men of God. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. That's the truth. Therefore, I can trust, maybe not in the king, but I can trust in God. Sarah trusted God, therefore she could obey Abraham. And then number 19, in the will of God, there is no higher, holier calling than to be a wife and a mother. We need to get that truth back into the hearts of our evangelical women. Number 20, I will reap whatever I sow. If I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat, I'm going to reap the consequences. If I'm going to sow, uh, reap, uh, sow, um, nasty, unkind, harsh words into my children. I'm going to reap the consequences. I will reap whatever I sow. If I'm going to spend hours watching television instead of reading the Word of God, I'm going to reap whatever I sow. Then number 21, I am responsible before God for my behavior, my responses, and my choices. Last week in Colorado Springs, a lady stood up to give one of the most powerful testimonies I've heard in a long time. An older woman stood up in front of a microphone and weeping said these words. She said, for 22 years, I've been a therapist. She had been out of the field now for two years, but she said until two years ago, for 22 years, I was a therapist. And this therapist said, I want to repent before you, my sisters, and before you, my God, for leading you astray and for telling you lies for telling you that for not saying to you I am solely and personally responsible for my own behavior no matter what anyone else does to me and I say amen may her tribe increase people who speak the truth and number 22 God is more concerned about changing me conforming me to the image of Christ than he is about solving my problems see we've got to get God's priorities and be concerned about what God's concerned about. So what do we need to do? We need to learn to counsel our hearts according to the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 29. Here's the prayer. Keep me from deceitful ways. Psalm 119, verse 29. 
And then Ephesians 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Grow up. That's what we need to do by speaking the truth. Grow up into him. Ephesians 4, verse 25, put away 